All right, welcome to the AdoptX podcast, where we have discussions with individuals who are building accessible businesses or products, advocating for inclusion or excelling in adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities, but rather to amplify their ideas and voice and learn strategies to scale our impact and help other businesses become more inclusive. We know that inclusion can't be achieved only by businesses that were dedicated to support individuals with disabilities, but has to be a community effort to prioritize accessibility. Today, we are joined by two members of the team at Roll Mobility, a mobile app that strives to be the Yelp of accessibility. I'll turn it over to the team now to introduce themselves. Um, I'm Rachel uh, with Roll Mobility. I do communications and social content for our team and newsletters. And um, we're, we're a small team, so we all do everything, unfortunately and fortunately. So that's. That's how that's, it a, that, that's a that's an essential part of businesses being able to wear many hats. So absolutely, hey. and I'm Joe Foster. Um, about three years ago, we had come up with an idea for the app um, over some napkin math, and now we're here, uh, officially launched in February of 2023. Yeah, that that basically segues into my first question, which was going to be like, can you kind of take me from concept to creation? what uh, sparked the idea and why did you determine that it would be an app versus a mobile platform versus a uh, web-based platform? So uh, if you kind of want to take me back three years and how it all started, that'd be great. It was a cold, dark day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have been lucky enough to have been volunteering with the U.S. Paralympic um, Association and uh, the BOEC out of Breckenridge, and they run a program every year called, called the Hartford Inf- Invitational, um, and it's called Ski Spectacular. So we've probably got a few people that have been to Ski Spectacular or have are aware of it. Um, and we finished a day on the slopes, and we wanted to take a group of athletes out to dinner. And so we started calling restaurants and saying, you know, can we have three people in wheelchairs in your establishment? Do you have tables for us? Is there a ramp to get in? And you know, all three restaurants said, yeah, of course we're, of course we're accessible. And I can already see you nodding that you know where this is going. And this is the reaction that we see over and over again. Um, so we get to the restaurant that we've chosen specifically because it's got an elevator to get down to the bathroom in case anybody needs to use the bathroom. And the there's two steps to get inside and there is no ramp and because we're with a group of athletes who are very comfortable in their bodies and very comfortable with themselves we make it work we get downstairs and we've got to move four tables out to the sides to accommodate wheelchairs and then we've got somebody that needs to use the bathroom and they go to the elevator and the elevator is from you know, 1960 something, and it's too small to facilitate a wheelchair. And we were sitting at the table and we just asked them, you know, (laughs) this, this never happens in a big city, right? This never happens to you in your hometown. This never happens to you anywhere. And they all said, no, no, anytime I go anywhere new, it's a phone call and maybe a drive by, by my significant other or by an able-bodied friend. Um, and the information just isn't there. You're asking people who 
don't understand um, your mobility issue for information um, and specific nuanced information about a location. Um, so we came, I came back down into Denver and started talking to a friend who was doing software development and design, uh, Shane Blanford, and we set up some napkin math. And then our first step was actually sending out emails and, and doing, um, Our, our first step was sending out emails and, and gathering groups of people and asking them what, what they would like and if this was even something that they thought was pertinent. And it was a very eye-opening experience because they, almost to a person, said, yes, or I've been thinking about how to do this for four years. Um, so that was the impetus and the kind of genesis of how things started. We created a, a version that Shane doesn't like how I say it, but I say it looks like your friend's cousin's brother built it in his basement. It was clunky and half of the time you could sign in and half of the time you couldn't sign in. But um, we started putting that into people's hands and, and having them use it. And we learned a whole lot the first six months about um what people wanted to see, what we could ask, what we couldn't ask. Um, and that really led to towards a complete rebuild of the app from the ground up um, and towards the launch in February. Yeah, that's kind of lean startup principles. You start with like a minimal viable product and you get feedback, see what works, see what people want, and then you iterate on the process as opposed to investing an egregious amount of money up front and making sure that it's actually solving a problem that people want. So getting feedback from the stakeholders beforehand, but then also starting with something kind of a small tech stack and then building onto it um, as it becomes more viable. But um, was the app development process um, multiple years, obviously it took a few years to get to where it is now, or uh, kind of at what point did you think like, okay, now is the time to launch? Did you feel like you had to hit a certain number of reviews? No, we, to be honest, we actually held it way too close to the vest for a really long time. Um, one of the issues that we have with presenting it to people is we know how many people in the space have been burned so many times with, oh, we have this great new thing for you. And then you get it and it's clunky and you can't use it or it's really not designed well uh, and it doesn't work at all or it just doesn't fit in and they haven't really listened to what the community has asked them for. Uh, and so we held on to it for probably six to eight months longer than we should have um, because we wanted to present to people that we had heard over and over again, hey, we keep getting stuff that is like this, and it doesn't work, or it's not what we're really looking for. Um, and we did not want to do that to the community. We wanted to come out with something that was pretty polished and ready to go. Um, we did an okay job of that, of course. You know, when you're using a product every single day, you intuitively know how to go from point A to point B because you, you're the one that designed point A to point B. Uh, and so it, it has been interesting to see the ways that people break things. Um, and utilize it 
on their own. Um, but one of our core tenants has always been that we're not here to say to people what they need. Um, Rachel actually has a great point about we're both recovering uh, therapists and almost all of the therapy language is very ableist and is very much centered around dysfunction. Um, and Rachel, would you say disability? Uh, no, just more like limitation first, right? Um, versus letting maybe letting the patient or the disabled population uh, quantify maybe like what is function, what is functional to them, um, which would, which taps into, you know, this hard thing that we're doing is trying to create something for a community that um, is, you know, even in the world of spinal cord injury, um, which I, I have a spinal cord injury, it, each person's individual presentation is just so unique. You know, we're trying trying to build this platform that meets the needs of many when people have uh, such unique experiences um, and and such unique presentations and needs. Brendan, you see this all the time because you train people that have the exact same diagnosis and they present like completely different. Yeah, it sounds like what you're referring to is kind of what uh, we distinguish between like a medical model of disability and a social model, whereas like a medical model says you have X, Y, Z wrong with you. It's my role as a professional to get you closer to some baseline, predetermined baseline versus a social model that says you aren't disabled by a specific impairment, but rather by an environment that isn't catered to the specific needs you have. So um, it kind of puts the onus on the business. It puts the onus on the environment to be accessible, uh, obviously, to the individual and not just kind of meet some preconceived idea of how everyone should function in their environments. So um, that's where I, I find it interesting um, to kind of approach this problem as a whole, since accessibility can be so diverse. It's like, how do you quantify every aspect of accessibility within an environment? Uh, so I'd be interested in kind of seeing how you guys are addressing problems not the word because that's not really a problem but how are you uh addressing like that piece of determining whether yeah. a building's accessible or not because you're essentially crowdsourcing users feedback right absolutely i think it's a lot of listening on the front end right and the willingness to just publicly fail forward like joe mentioned we've been holding it close waiting for it to be perfect but the fact is is we just have to put it out there and just be continuously improving um, improving our product and continuously taking feedback in from our community. One of the things we did right at the beginning was we just had it on a star rating system. And we said, you know, rate the accessibility of this location on a one to five scale. And we learned very quickly People that were allies did not feel comfortable rating it because they didn't feel that they had the expertise to rate it. People that had disabilities, which is a whole nother wormhole, um, felt that they weren't disabled enough or they were too disabled. So they'd be cutting people out. And we, we wound up with a system where no one really felt comfortable just doing a narrative that said, yeah, the front door is, is accessible, but I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that. Um, I'm going to give it three stars. Or we would see people would rate it five stars uh, because it only had 
two steps to get from the first level to the mm-hmm. second level. And so we very quickly uh, inter- iterated away from that and moved towards a system that that asks the question, you know, is there a is there um, a automatic door opener at the front door? Is there large thresholds at the different spots in the building? Are there large, you know, thick throw rugs or different? styles of carpeting um are there mostly bar top or are there mostly wheelchair height tables things like that and so we we really boiled it down to um we took those 50 people that we'd asked questions to and presented them a list of gosh i think it was 25 questions and they we crowdsourced the 10 questions that they really felt were the things that they wanted to know and needed to know, we know that we're not going to be able to offer really, really granular information yet. Um, But knowing a little bit that is coming from one of your peers versus calling a restaurant and asking a hostess who (laughs) knows nothing about, you know, uh, anything about you is so much more valuable than I, I think we even um, have the concept of. One of the stories that uh, was one of the defining moments for the app was we had a gentleman who attended one of our um, little inf- information sessions um, where we asked for feedback and just asked people to go through and leave a review and make sure that that we had set it up so that it was easy to use and and was working well. Uh, And he told a story where he had found a gal that he really was interested in, asked her on a date, um, went to, you know, called a restaurant and really wanted to downplay any of the difficulties of, of being in a wheelchair. And they showed up at this restaurant that he had called and the, you know, the classic thing happened. They did not have an accessible entrance at the front. They had to take him around the back alley, put a ramp at the back alley, and then bring him through the kitchen. And here he is trying to, you know, really present like, hey, look, I can do it. You know, this is really not a big deal. Um, thankfully, it sounds like she laughed it off and and they remained friends. But um, there's little things that would really help. And so we've got the 10 questions and then a space that just says, is this space, you know, what other details about this space do you need to know? And so there is a spot where you can say the accessible entrance is down the back alley or um, any other information or even that, hey, I, I got there and the owner wouldn't shovel the walk for me, like wouldn't shovel the ramp after it had snowed. We've we've heard that instance a couple of times. It's interesting listening to you talk kind of about the process because it's one of the things, it's one project that we've talked about taking on to a degree is like identifying what fitness centers around the country are accessible um, and almost building out like a database of accessible gyms. Uh, So it would be interesting to almost piggyback off of the platform you're already building. Like instead of us going out of our way to reinvent the wheel, we just reach out directly to the gym owners in our network, get them listed on your app, 
maybe there can be a different segue when you're navigating it. You can select restaurants versus fitness centers versus something, and it gives you like a push pin map or you enter your zip code and it shows on kind of a smaller scale map what gyms in your area are accessible. Uh, but I was also, as you were talking about people rating things, uh, a thought that came to mind was like, what if, what if you went to a gym like mine and I didn't have an automatic door in front and you rated it a one? would you give that feedback to the business owner? Because then what if I go ahead and I install a handicap accessible entrance? Do I then reach out to you and say, hey, can you update my rating? Like I've changed this. And so one of the ways that we've tried to get around that is um, the ratings are cumulative. And so if you have one person that rates it a one, and then you have three people that rated a five because you've updated it, um, then even you as the owner without having us reach out to you can go ahead and go in and, and answer the questions um, and you know change things as well as, I hesitate to talk about it because I don't know how far out we are, but um, we're also incorporating picture and video at this point. And so you can take a picture of the front entrance and say, here it is, we fixed it, um, and then re-rate it so that people people know. We do have, um, I know we've got uh, several gyms in the Denver area. There's a place called um, CrossFit Watchtower that's owned by a gentleman who's in a wheelchair, um, and they're on the app. But yeah, I, there is the ability to filter with the mapping system that we use, so we would love to put put gyms on there, especially if you've already got the location data, it makes it really easy for us to um, extrapolate that data and just place it on the map. Um, that's one of the things that we're really excited to do with people that already have the data. Um, we've been reaching out to adaptive programs um, and placing them on the map with their actual icon and logo so that when people are traveling, you know, you roll through the map and you can see, oh, there's an adaptive program here. At least, you know, you've got one resource that knows mountain biking trails might be able to rent you equipment. And at the very least, you've got a community of people already built in where if you're having an issue, their phone number's right there, their website's right there. You can navigate to their location through the app itself um, and get a hold of them. And, and, you know, our, our whole sense is this is a, giant community of people that has let's face it it's really difficult to get the information that you want for the amount of energy you're willing to expend for it um and our goal is not to be the goal is not to to have everything in one place and to be um well to shine the light on ourselves the right yeah, the goal is not to shine a letter on ourselves. No, you're Sorry, good. Rachel. Just, just to highlight the work that other leaders in the disability community are already doing. And with the, you had asked, Brendan, if um, we would want to let businesses know like what they could do to improve their score. And that's definitely on the horizon. But I think immediately would be to reward the businesses that are already a place that make uh, our community feel welcomed. And we have a, a sticker system, you know, if you get a green, green rating, the kind of a green, the, the questions are a weighted scale, right? And so there's like red being lowest scores, yellow, a medium, and then green fully accessible. 
And uh, for the green businesses, we're sending out uh, you are welcome here sticker with a roll logo kind of just to put on their business storefront. I think, you know, when Roll becomes a household brand, there would be that public pressure of, oh, we want that Roll stamp of improve- improvement. And maybe their businesses are reaching out to us at that point to say, what can we do to improve this score? Uh, or we're maybe at that point have the capacity to like to send them a friendly letter. But I think, you know, if it's, it's you and your community and it's a, a gym or a business that you want to frequent, that maybe the individual and quite often like living a disabled life, so much of that advocacy falls on onto you as a, as the consumer, as the patron. Um, but it's, it's notifying a business in your neighborhood what they can do to improve their own accessibility. Yeah, I like I like the I like the sticker system because we talked about trying to do like Adaptex certified facilities and they could have some sort of banner that says like it's an inclusive fitness center and maybe maybe your membership comes in and they don't have a disability, but you can almost guarantee that they have a, a relative or a friend or they know someone with a disability that could benefit from that service. But unless it's visible to them, they don't know. They don't know that you're making those efforts. And it's also like accessibility goes a little bit beyond the physical environment mm-hmm. too. So like maybe my door has a handicap entrance, but my trainers have no interest in working with people with disabilities or they have no knowledge on how to accommodate someone in a wheelchair, like to help them with their training experience. So it's like, it's multidisciplinary and that like, it's not just a physical environment, but it's also how your wait staff communicates and talks to someone with a disability and their willingness to make the necessary Absolutely, and I think so much of that just comes from exposure, right? And just really in the last couple of years with social platforms, has, have leaders in the disability community really had a place to have their voices amplified or just visibility in general. Um, and that is... No, it's, I, I think it's, you, you mentioned leaders in the disability space and sometimes because I can, I can, um, I can commiserate, commiserate's not the word, but I can relate to the business owner that needs to run a profitable business and needs to cater to a dozen different things if they're a self-employed individual. And um, sometimes I see stuff on LinkedIn from like influential voices in the disability space. And they're like, if you don't do X, Y, Z, you don't care about people with disabilities. And it's like, sometimes that stuff becomes like overwhelming or almost intimidating to the fact where I would wonder if sometimes a business owner doesn't even want to go down the quote unquote inclusion path because they're worried that they're going to be subject to criticism uh, or they're going to be subject to people not being able to access their facilities. And sometimes it's like, you have to incrementally yeah. get there. I don't know. Like that's not that's not to give them an out or give them an excuse for not being accessible. But like you have to also understand that there's a lot of things that go into running a service or running Absolutely. a business uh, that that it can sometimes be a a big a big undertaking. Unfortunately, though, that's like the times we live in, right? Where like if you're online, you've got a business, you're subject to criticism. Uh, now that the disability community has such like a louder voice and they're demanding more. Um, that like we kind of uh, talked on like the the exposure, so exposure for businesses. But just yesterday, Joe and I saw this meme that was talking about not a meme, but an infographic talking about this like circular pattern that says like a business isn't accessible, so then people with disabilities don't come, 
people with disabilities don't come, so they're not visible. So people don't know that the need exists. And then the cycle continues to perpetuate itself. And, and so trying to, Absolutely. you know, that's one of the things in the app that we're trying to do is not only like make that information more readily available on the front end so that we're breaking down those barriers, getting people out and going. Maybe it's less intimidating for a person with a disability because they don't have to spend energy making that phone call to figure out only to be disappointed. They've got the vetted information in front of them. Um, but that then we want to be able to show on the business side, like, hey, there's an entire group here that's being left out that you're not marketing to. Um, that's, you know, an ever-growing population, unfortunately. It's the only marginalized group that any person can become a part of. But with a, a big aging population and the baby boomer population, we've got more and more people becoming disabled all day. And that's also a group that still has buying power, Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we even see some unintended consequences of working with a lot of clients with disabilities here. Like uh, the rest of our membership base feels like they're supporting a community and that's doing good. It's like you kind of build up that social capital that like when you're accessible, when you're inclusive, people want to support you. Um, it's like businesses, I guess, like Patagonia or Bombas, where they they donate X to these great causes or people buy a pair of socks and they donate a pair of socks. It's like accessibility kind of has um, a, a compounding effect, I guess, in terms of when you help one person, uh, it seems to impact a lot. So uh, really interested, I guess, in terms of how businesses, how you can demonstrate to businesses that accessibility is a profitable thing and it's like a good thing for your business. It's not just the right thing to do. And I'd be interested, Rachel, you're in the marketing, like, how are you kind of what's the marketing approach like are you reaching out to people directly are you guys using social media ads or yeah you know right now it's just it's a it's a all approach kind of like chaos theory fail forward try every every venue and that's it's certainly um it's a hard to market group too for a reason and um and we're and we're still trying to crack that code right now yeah we're taking social approach a lot of like in-person community building. Uh, fortunately for the disability population, like uh, the so much of the community building happens online because online becomes such an accessible platform. And we just still need to figure out how to, um, I don't know, go viral. Are you, when you say hard to market population, are you referring to just individuals with disabilities? Like, or are you marketing also to business owners and you're saying, hey, we'd love to get you listed on our platform. Like, do you reach out to the gyms directly or the restaurants directly? Uh, you know, in our community, it's it's been because the, the app is user driven right now. You know, we're not like pulling da data sets from Google. We're uploading all of our own reliable information. It's uh, businesses that we're going to are just, it's, it's what's been rated, right? And so like the, in Denver proper, you know, we're a Denver-based app, but it's a, a worldwide uh, app. We've, you know, we've got partnerships in the community that we've been able to have these great conversations with. Um, but cold calling businesses isn't something we've done yet. It is, we did some um, outreach at the very beginning um, to places like 
mobility works um, that that sells accessible vans uh, nationwide. Um, and it's it's a really funny experience cold calling these businesses where you say, who is the person that can tell me, you know, every location that you have and would you like to be included on this map feature? And um, we still haven't cracked that code. Um, it, we thought a long time about is there's the chicken and the egg problem of do we spend a lot of time going after these businesses that, um, you know, then does the app feel really commercial because you open it and all it is is these nationwide chains? And we don't really want to um, become the place where you go to look for the chilies that's around you. Um, instead, we'd, we'd love for the community to highlight, hey, there's a, there's a um, brewery on Broadway in Denver that is staffed by people with disabilities and mobility issues that is run by a gal um, who is a former edu special educator um, and their entire design is based around this community. It's called Brewability. And those are the places, you know, we want to highlight the businesses that are doing this um, in an organic way uh, and have highlighted this community as something that they really care about. We want to be able to send more people their direction. Um, and that comes from the community more than than it comes from a lot of the, the corporate places that we can reach out to. What is the, uh, what's the biggest challenge outside of kind of what you already mentioned, but like um, the biggest challenges with scaling. So it's maybe like a hard market to um, market to, or it's a hard population to market to. But um, I guess if, if you look at like your next 12 months, what do you think would be most effective in helping you grow or scale? I think for us, we've just got to get it into in front of more eyes and in more hands. Um, if you open the app right now in Des Moines, Iowa, there are five reviews and an adaptive program that are close to you. And so it's not something, it, it becomes a task, right? It becomes a task for you to do. But um, we've seen that there are people that are super, super engaged and want to share this information. One of our core tenants has been uh, when you go to an accessible event, when you go to Crested Butte for mountain, you know, adaptive mountain bike championships, you've got 50 or 60 people that have a huge amount of different nuance and different knowledge. And they go to all these places because there's not a lot of places in town. It's a small town. And so you basically canvas everything. You find out where the accessible hotels are. You find out where all these are. Uh, but if you go a week after that's over, you don't really have anybody to ask. That knowledge moves with that community. Um, and unless you know somebody who was at the event that you can call and say, hey, where did you go that was accessible? Because I just don't have the energy today. We rode 20 miles. Um, my chronic pain is flaring up. And I don't have the bandwidth to go to four restaurants and try to find a place where I actually fit in my chair and is welcoming. Um, and so for us, it's getting it to, to those champions and uh, doing a, a good job of, of making it easy enough to use so that it 
does have that component where you can say, oh, no, 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 we were there last week. A bunch of people left reviews. Just scroll the map over to it and you can click through and then you don't have to wonder whether or not it's accessible. Um, so getting getting yourself in front of large events that support a lot of people with disabilities that uh, just so they know that your app exists. And have you worked on partnering with any organizations? I think like what comes to mind is Team Hoyt just because it's an organization that I run, like, so I run marathons pushing a wheelchair and we have chapters kind of all around the country. So we have Team Hoyt Coeur d'Alene out in Idaho and we have Team Hoyt Virginia Beach in San Diego. I wonder if um, getting it in front of people like that that are already kind of championing um, inclusion, they're kind of trying to promote it through endurance sports. I wonder if people like that yeah. would be more receptive to participating. We've hit, we've hit some, we've had some soft wins. Uh, I know like currently, uh, Girls on the Run is working, um, Girls on the Run does a unique thing where all of their events are, uh, there's, there's no para division. It's just all events are inclusive and they're in progress of putting together an accessibility, accessibility guide. And, um, we're in cahoots with them to make sure that we get into that guide. But then some other organizations, even with personal connections, kind of like, well, you know, there's a little bit of what can you do for us? What can we do for you? And there's a little bit of, we don't know that we really need you, uh, yet. Like we're not, we're not making a big enough noise. We don't have a big enough of a following just yet that maybe either we're not being taken. I don't know that we're not being taken seriously, but even within the community, we're hitting, you know, stops. I think in part, you know, so many of these adaptive programs are nonprofits and they're run with skeleton crews, right? So even just response time with emails gets lost or the momentum, the excitement gets lost. Um, yeah, I'd love a I'd love a quick problem problem solve there. <laughs> yeah, there's a. Are you familiar with the Kelly Brush Foundation? Have you yeah, definitely. That? Yeah, so they have they're working on the Active Project, which sounds like it's something relatively similar in terms of mapping out uh, accessible programs, adaptive programs. So from like your standpoint, from a business standpoint, like if if our podcasts had thousands of listeners that were wheelchair users or individuals with disabilities and it would make sense for you to try to market through our podcast but like you said you kind of have to demonstrate that there's value in sponsoring in events like the crested butte one or sponsoring a podcast that reaches those users it's it's tough to go from a lean business to a nationwide or a scaled one and i say that not really knowing because i've never scaled a business nationwide but it is something that we're kind of working on through our curriculum and we've had the opportunity to to work with people all around the country but i wonder if at like the university level uh, if they would be able to help you disseminate it um, students on campus with disabilities etc so. yeah that's definitely on our radar including occupational and physical therapy grad graduate programs um, and just tapping into any network that comes to mind. It's it's one of those funny things because it's, you know, one in 11 uh, people in the U.S. has a mobility issue, uh, according to the census data that was two years ago, right? And so almost everybody knows somebody that would benefit from having really good information about places that are accessible. And hopefully that would lend 
itself towards businesses, then understanding, oh, this is a population where if I do make my business accessible, then um, I'm, I'm welcoming this entire um, swath of people that can come to my business. Um, we have talked to Kelly Brush, uh, Matt Tilford, shout out to him. He is taking on the active project. Um, he's a pretty incredible dude. So we're of the vein where a rising tide raises all ships. Our goal is not to be the, our goal is to be the singular voice that it's easy to find. We want to be the web that you go to, to find these things. But our goal is not to be the end all be all. We know we're a small app. If we try to contain a huge amount of information, it, it's going to make things move a little bit slower. Um, so our goal is to, same with the adaptive projects, um, not to be the end all be all where you can schedule things through the app and, and work through the app to get there. Um, but to have it so you can find it very easily. You can access the information without having to search for it, without having to, um, kind of go through everything. Same with gyms, I'd suppose, right? Where it'd be so nice if instead of calling 15 gyms and saying, Hey, are you Adeptic certified? You can just go onto the map and say, Oh, here's two gyms in my area that are Adeptic certified. Click on it, decide which one is closer and better for you or offers the hours that you like. And then you go there. Um, and hopefully you take pictures and video and re-upload it to the app and share it with your friends and help that gym gain a bigger following. Um, but I, I pose this question as someone that does not know really anything about the topic as a whole outside of what I kind of um, consume through uh, podcasts and Twitter and stuff. But are there are there AI tools with it becoming more prevalent? You see all these companies that are incorporating various AI plugins like is that on your radar or is it something that you think is going to contribute um, to your development? Have you guys kind of played around with any of those uh, new pieces of software that have been kind of rolled out seemingly weekly in the last five or six months? This is one of those areas where personally, like Rachel is smarter at this than I am, but I really <laughs> feel like it's so nuanced whether a place is accessible or not that I would worry that if we try to use an AI algorithm that you'd get, you know, a mishmash of all of the information and then everywhere looks accessible or nowhere looks accessible for a whole region, right? Yeah, it's like if you even plug a question into a chat GPT, that's like, what organizations support people with disabilities in this area? It's like Special Olympics pops up. It's like, okay, that doesn't really tell me much outside of that there's a Special Olympics that uh, does stuff for people with disabilities, doesn't really tell me anything. So um, I'm sure as they become more refined, but I don't even know the, the magnitude of the software problem that some of those things are trying to model uh, seems incomprehensible to me, but I wasn't sure if, um, if it was gonna play a role, I guess, in, in how you grow and kind of how you answer questions. I mean, it's certainly like the answer is always like maybe, right? Maybe. Like technology changes so fast, like how we will use tools in the future is is yet to be determined. But I think, yeah, that reliability is is the biggest piece that that keeps us from trying to pull that data 
it would be great. It would be great if we could reliably pull data and then we would have, you know, locations nationwide rather than relying on the user input. But it just comes down to the information that this community wants is so nuanced that it really has to be like, we have to control, the disability community has to control that narrative of what defines accessibility. Have, have you dealt with, have you dealt with like inaccurate reviews, like, uh, or like inaccurate information that's been entered into the app? Well, that's a great question because it could be inaccurate, right? But the, since we're guiding the question, since we're, since we've determined that rating scale and it's not a subjective like zero to five stars, we hope that our information is just more objective because you're following our prompted questions. Um, but with the amount of users we have on the app right now, maybe like one location only has one review instead of like multiple reviews waiting, waiting that. So I think the more users we get on the app, the more re reviews there are per location, that weighted system becomes really accurate. Yeah. Uh, so what can, what can we do to, to help? role mobility become a, uh, a household name or commonplace not not that I have some audience that would uh, that would accelerate you to a nationwide presence but um, what can what can like my organization that's tackling a similar problem of like how to create more accessible places uh, specifically in the fitness space like uh, what can we do for role mobility for you I think first and foremost, the idea of having an accurate and having a way to find a gym that's close to you that that is accessible and does want people with accessibilities in their gym, um, that's, that would be awesome. And then I think, you know, for us, it's that grassroots organization of each of those gyms telling five people that they know that, that come and have a a real buy-in to this space um, and encouraging them to download and use the app. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I think one of the things that we have seen is just the longer we're around, the more people are willing to give us a shot because community has been burned so many times with so many, hey, this new thing is coming out. It'll be so great for you. And then two years later, nobody's supporting it. And I think we are very committed towards if something is wrong, we want to fix it and continuing to have new features and have new things so that this really turns into whatever the community wants it to be instead of what we thought it might be two years ago. That's our commitment is I'm not here to tell anybody what they need. I'm here to listen and let them define the progress and define where this goes next. That's been a tough uh, question to answer for me too, as we like try to put together a curriculum that teaches fitness professionals how to work with different disabilities. Like I don't have all the answers and the literature certainly doesn't have all the answers. Like if we go to like the medical research, it's scarce when it comes to disabilities, the feasibility of doing large scale longitudinal studies for wheelchair users, people with CP, people with Down syndrome is, is pretty difficult. Um, so it's like, you can try to be evidence-based and, uh, but it's hard to kind of come up with one answer to fit a problem that has, uh, that's pretty diverse. So it's like you said, it's not, 
I'm not teaching you how to train all people with disabilities. I'm hopefully just giving you like perspective as to kind of how you can approach the problem and how you can communicate more effectively and kind of create better environments. Uh, Rachel, what do you kind of maybe as a, a question that we could wrap up, but like, what do you think has to be done to make businesses uh, more inclusive and accessible? Well, that's, that's a big a question. That's a loaded question. Yeah, it's a loaded question <laughs> that probably that definitely doesn't have one direct answer. But um, from your perspective, I guess, like, what's a first step that a business can take to start moving in the right direction? You know, I think it's it's more of like a societal question. I recently just spent a month in Greece, and one of the biggest differences I noticed from the states to the European market is, you know. In America, we have a bit of better infrastructure thanks to the ADA, even in its like not even fully enforced status. Um, but the cultural awareness around people with disabilities, it, just in your day-to-day -day passing is incredibly limited. But when I was in Europe, um, although the infrastructure is not there, the social awareness is. So before I could even approach a business, maybe, and they've done their best to retrofit, and maybe it's a ramp that's at a 45 degree angle that's not entirely usable, but you appreciate that like, hey, they tried to make this thousand year old building uh, welcoming to me. But as you approach a business, somebody, somebody is there before you can think for yourself, uh, maybe even a little too aggressively helping you. So or or, e or even strangers on the street, a lot of ju jumping in, in a way that people just don't interact with me in a chair that way here in the States. So I think it's a, it's a society, it's a, a societal shift that then hopefully puts that pressure onto businesses. Yeah. yeah and like you said, kind of when you referred to that graphic a while back, like if a business is determined or if a business is inaccessible, they don't have wheelchair users in it all the other able-bodied or however you want to define them individuals don't see it as a problem and they just kind of perpetuate that narrative it's like starting to open people's eyes i guess as to how inaccessible so many things are uh, but unless unless businesses i guess make the effort to address accessibility then a lot of people just assume i guess that it's not a problem yeah absolutely we had a really interesting conversation with uh uh gentleman who works for the city and goes out to places and he was working for um i forget what the business was but he went to them and said hey you're you know you're completely redesigning this entire thing you you need to replace these at least one set of these stairs with a ramp you need to have an accessible entrance and the guy said but we don't have people with disabilities and he just said yeah of course you don't you have Obviously. 12 steps to get to yeah. your front door right now. They you, will, you, will, yeah. you will never see these people because right now you can't see these people but um that's the kind of the yeah it's yeah it's an educational thing it's a it's a societal um reform like entire reform issue so uh but okay. joe rachel thanks for uh thanks for taking the time to talk we'll look forward to sharing more about role mobility um we'll toss a, a download link to the app in the show notes 
uh, and we'll share it across the different platforms uh, in the coming weeks when we start to post the podcast episodes. Uh, but really appreciate your time and the work that you guys are doing. Uh, and I'll look forward to it. I think there's definitely some ways that AdaptX can leverage what you guys are doing and hopefully we can support what you're doing in, in turn. So uh, thanks again for joining yeah, me today. Likewise. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, Brendan.